Welcome to the podcast from In Church, Phoenix. This message is, Love May Be Blind But It's Not Deaf or Dumb, with Pastor Dan Broder. September 3rd, 2017. For the next four weeks, we'll begin this the, the, the theme, which is uh, from strength to strength. We're going to um, be, topic. the topic's going to be sharing your faith. And, and it starts today, and we're actually going to be working towards, so every single Sunday is going to lead us towards the, the last Sunday of this month, which is the 24th. Um, on that Sunday, we're going to have a special service encouraging you through the course of this season to bring somebody to church on that Sunday. So we're doing, this is going to be a practical series. This month is going to be one that has a bit, almost like a test. You're going to have almost like a test at the end of the month. We're going to have a service that's totally designed to evangelize our neighbors. And uh, the test will be who will bring a neighbor. So it'll be at the end of the month. And that's going to be on the 24th. And so this is the very first uh, topic of that, which is sharing your faith. And I've titled the message, Love May Be Blind, But It's Not Deaf and Dumb. Um, You know, I thought about, I thought about starting with the verse in Luke where it says, if you don't confess me before men, I cannot confess you before angels. That it, we're, we're talking about sharing your faith. We're talking about the importance of sharing your faith. And so uh, what better verse to go with than if you don't confess me before men, then I will not confess you before the angels of God. That's actually the translation of it. And uh, and I thought, you know, that's not, that's, that's kind of a, a it's kind of, driven by fear you know what i was as i was praying about it, and i was thinking about it I, I thought about what's happening in houston and i thought what motivates people like what if these people are out they're exhausting their resources they're exhausting their energy they're risking their lives their time that they can't get back to go out into incredibly treacherous waters to rescue people from their homes and believe it or not most of the time that they pulled up to a house, most of the time that they yelled out, we're here to help you, they, people said, I don't want your help. So they, they went out and literally experienced the rejection of, hey, I'm here to help you. Go, I don't need your help. I'm sure they were very kind. But they, I don't need your help. I don't need your help. You know, but they persistent. They didn't stop. They didn't take their boat. I mean, I saw images of hundreds of trucks Hundreds of boats driving into the waters, driving into Houston. They didn't go down there, put their boat in the water, head out into the into the storm and get to the first house and go. And the guy said, nope, we're going to stay. And they go, well, if you're going to be like that, turn their boat around, put it back on the truck and leave. They didn't quit. They just kept going. Right. What motivates them? Nobody told them. Nobody told them if you don't help them. Somebody won't help you. They were like, oh, well, then I better get out there and help them. Nobody's, they, people were helping each other whose homes were flooded. They weren't like, well, if I don't help. The insurance companies didn't send out a note that said, look, we're not going to give money to anybody that doesn't help. Right? So that wasn't the motivation. The motivation was that they saw what they saw. There are people in need. The real motivation is, is the idea that I'm in a position to help. Right? I'm in a position to help there, but for the grace of God, go I. I don't live in that area. It didn't happen to me, but here I am in Austin. Here I am in Dallas. Here I am in Baton Rouge. Here I am within driving distance. I'm coming. 
I'm going. Why? Because I'm in a position to help. There's people in need. There's people that are hurting. There are people that need saving. And because I am capable of doing it, I'm going to do it. And that, that to me was the most inspiring. As I watched all this, I just thought to myself, how inspiring is it to realize that we still live surrounded by people who are willing to stick out a hand when somebody is in desperate need? And as I thought about that, you know, I'm joking. I was never going to use it if you don't confess me. I just use it as an example because sometimes as a kid, that was it. I remember my youth pastor all the time. I mean, that was the drive. He'd be like, you better tell people. If you don't confess Jesus before men, then he can't confess you before the Father. You better get out there and tell people about Jesus, or he's not going to tell God about you. You know, I was like, okay. You know, and then, and, and I would be, I would cry, and I would go to the altar, and then the next morning I'd get up, and I'd go to school, and I'd see everybody in the hallways, and I'd be like, oh, I'm not telling anybody anything. You know, <laughs> yeah. Why? Because I was, I was I was motivated by the wrong thing. And uh, the, the word teaches us quite clearly that it's the goodness of God that leads to repentance, not the fear of God. It's the goodness of God that leads to repentance. Matthew 22, it says, Jesus said unto them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second one is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord Jesus. God, we thank you that it is your word that brings life. We thank you, God. It is you that anoints that word, and it is the anointing, God, that breaks the yoke of men. It's the anointing of God, Lord Jesus, that pierces even the hardest of hearts. And it's your anointing, God, that convinces doubts that, Lord Jesus, changes minds. We thank you, Father God, and we ask that you would anoint your word, that you would anoint your messenger, God, and that we would speak right to the heart of the matter. God, we would receive the imparted word of God that bears fruit in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So in this, it says, the second commandment is this. This is Jesus speaking. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love thy neighbor. What if Jesus actually meant... We should love our neighbors. What if Jesus actually meant it? He said, love your neighbor as yourself. What if Jesus actually meant your neighbors? Your neighbors. Now, I've heard all sorts of different sermons on the subject. I think the one I find the most attractive to me is the one where somebody says, well, when he's talking about you, they lived in neighborhoods back then, they were segregated. So you were surrounded by like-minded people. They didn't live integrated neighborhoods. So this verse means you've got to love your neighbors, which back then meant most of the time it was family and fellow like believers. It wouldn't be believers back then, but it would be like uh, of the same tribe. Love your neighbors. Because Samaritans wouldn't live in the same neighborhood of Jews. But that's not what this verse means, although that's the most attractive interpretation of it. Because then it just means love the people you like, which is super easy. Be like, Right. If we live in like minded, if the cul-de-sac in which I lived on was all people that was just like me, well, man, wouldn't that be great? Because I'm great. I mean, like, yes, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I pray that I never live by somebody just like me. Um, but what if Jesus literally meant love thy neighbor? What if he literally what if he actually what if the word of God meant what the what it said? Right? Love thy neighbor. Now We've got to we've got to we've got to look at it because then we all of a sudden go okay. Especially in Phoenix, Phoenix is notoriously one of the most unfriendly cities. 
right? It's actually got a pretty bad reputation. Um, it may, you know, they make excuses for it. They say because it's such a transient city. It's because so many people move from so many different places. There aren't tons of people who were born and raised here, so it becomes very complicated. People don't feel as comfortable as they, but when you travel to other parts of the country, as much grief as the media likes to give the South, if you want to go someplace where people are nice, go to the South or Canada. I mean, you can go to those two places. Canadians are like the nicest people on the planet. And if you ever want to go, I, when we did ministry in Canada years and years and years ago. We stayed with this family. I'll never forget it because this guy literally had a freezer in his garage filled with steak. It was like the greatest thing ever. It was like 21 years old. We'd get up for breakfast and he's like, you want steak and eggs? Sure. <laughs> he'd go out, I thought he'd go to the store, he'd go out to the freezer, just nothing but steak. I was like, man, this is great. But I remember one breakfast as we were eating our steak and eggs. There's a knock at the door. And we're like out in the fields, like out, like outside of this little tiny town. So big acres. The driveway was like 100 yards long. Knock at the door. And this guy, he opens the door. And there's a guy standing there in full uh, spandex from his bike. He's a bike rider, full spandex. And the shoes, clink, clink, clink. And, and you know, and he says, hello. And the guy's like, oh, and they have this conversation. And all of a sudden, the guy comes in, goes into the bathroom. I said, oh, you know that guy? He's like, no, I've never seen him before in my life. He's like, what's he doing? He's just riding along the road, need to use the restroom. And it was funny. Is I, at the moment, I thought, what are you, crazy? <laughs> what's so funny about that is I think all the time, once you have children, at the time I didn't think about this, but once you have children, there are plenty of times when I've thought, you think they'd let my kid go to the bathroom? Like if I just pulled over right here, went, there's a house right there. You're driving down I-10, the light's on. I could just go knock and say, but like, hey, my seven-year-old kid's got to go to the bathroom. You think they'd... wonder what would happen. I'll tell you what would happen. It wouldn't be very similar to what happened in Canada. It's very cordial. I mean, the guy would almost offered him a steak, right, which I would have then stepped in. I'd have been like, look, don't give steaks away, man. I'm here for two more weeks. At that point, you can give all the steaks away you want. But, uh, like, we, we recognize this, but here we do. We get a bad reputation for it, and I, I think it's true. I, I have one neighbor to the right of me, and I'll admit it. He's the only one in the neighborhood I know, right? We've lived there for 10 years. I, the guy's across the street. I can't, we've talked a couple. The people that used to live there, we got really involved with. They came to church. They were great, and then they moved. And then the people moved in after them. They're, you know, they're one of those crystal balls in their yard, the guy kind of looks like the dad from Teen Wolf, right? He's like 60 years old. He's got a huge, weird tattoo. I'm, I'm totally being judgmental right now. But he's like, I don't know. And then I got my next-door neighbor who's a pool guy. He's the nicest guy you ever meet, you know, all the time. But, you know, you know, every once in a while, you smell the weed, you know. It's like, oh, man. Hey, Tom, how's it going? You know. But... I, I look at this, I love your neighbors. I'm like, man, this is rough, God. You want me to love my neighbors? Like, I didn't pick my neighbors. And God's like, I know I picked them. But, but God, you want me to love my neighbors? If he literally means it, then we really do have to take time to recognize and go, okay, God, what does it mean then? What does it mean to love my neighbor? If you're telling me there's only two commandments, one of them is to love the Lord your God with all your soul, with all your heart, and with all your mind. That seems self-explanatory. I get this, okay? Love the Lord with all. Okay, I can understand. All your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Okay, that seems easy. Now, love the Lord, love your neighbor as yourself. There are two parts of that are really troubling to me. So loving my neighbor and loving them as myself. 
That's the second. There's only two commandments. So we have to look at it and go, what does it mean then? What does it mean to love? First off, if we're going to be serious about this and sincere, then we have to discuss what it means to love. As we often do when we tackle the subject of love, spend at least a moment clarifying the difference between real love and what we have come to know as love. I think this is vital. I think our culture today is so perverted and distorted, the concept of love, that if when we talk about it in the context of God's word, we don't at least talk about the difference between the word love in God's mind and the word love in ours. We have to do that. We have to do that. Otherwise, I think we, we can become so off course by the idea of loving our neighbors. First of all, God's version of love is not an emotion because love is not an emotion. Love is not an emotion. Love has emotion. Love uses emotion, but it is not an emotion. That's why you can say things like, yes, I love you right now, but I don't like you. Right? That's why you can say that because like is an emotion. All right? Love is not an emotion. That's why we see divorce at such a high rate because we've raised our kids from such a young age to believe that love is an emotion. And the minute you stop feeling said emotion, you start thinking, I should end this marriage because I don't love you anymore. I don't love you anymore. This marriage is coming in. Why? Because I don't love you anymore. Love is not an emotion. It has emotion. It uses emotion. But it is not an emotion. Anger is an emotion. Sadness is an emotion. Fear, happy, silly, frustrated, being pumped. These are all emotion. Love is greater than all of these. That is why the word of God says that the greatest of these is love. Because love has the power and ability to push ahead in spite of feelings. Love has the ability to push forward in spite of how we feel. God loves us in spite of us. Amen? He loves us in spite of us. Imagine if we took the same concept of love that we use on an everyday basis and applied it to God towards us. That God's love ride, rid, rides upon emotion. Does he like me? I would have to say there are times when God doesn't like me. He loves me. He always loves me. But there has to be moments, if I'm being honest, and I know that's harsh, you're like, whoa, that's tough to say. You think God doesn't like, in the context that we use it, yes, I think God looks at some of my behavior sometimes, some of my feelings, me judging my neighbor's ankle tattoo. And I think he thinks, man, I don't like that right now. I love you, but I'm not, I'm not liking that, right? And, and I think he looks at those things that I have to recognize. And it's important to do this because love is bigger than that. Love is bigger than emotion, Right? Love is bigger than emotion, and we should hope that it is because all of us fall short of the glory of God. All of us fail to meet the standard that God lays before us to meet. We need Jesus. Amen? We need Jesus. And because his love is not an emotion, it uses emotion, then we realize that Jesus never gives up on us, never fails us, never abandons us, never turns his back on us. Why? Because love isn't an emotion. Right? Love is a commitment in the truest sense of the term. God's love towards us is a commitment to us. Right? And we can see that in Scripture. But one of the biggest, I think, perversions of, of, of truth, one of the biggest twists, is that we tend to, and I'm about to get, save your booze for the end of the message or emails or phone calls, whatever you'd like to do, but I'm about to say something that I know is going to bother some people. We like to see, and I, I believe it's a perversion of that. We love to say that God's love 
is unconditional. Right? So when we say well, God's love is unconditional, that's not biblical. It's not unconditional. Now, before you freak out, let me finish what I'm saying. But I'm, I'm, this is funny. I, I was praying. I was going through the message. And as I was, I was writing this message and my, my train of thought was going, I wrote, is God's love unconditional? And instantly grabbed a hold of me. Because I say, I, I sing it, pray it. I'm like, this unconditional love of God. Right? And then I went, wait, I want to, I'm going to, search this out right i'm, I'm going to go into the word i'm going to go and and do a little bit of research and find out where do we get this idea that god's love is unconditional so hear me hear me for a second and what i'm saying by this okay i know i wrote this i even wrote this in my notes hold on i'm going to blow your mind and lose some friends nothing nothing can separate us from the love of god this is true because there's nothing more powerful than the love of god there is nothing more powerful than the love of God. But don't freak out. When we talk about the love of God, we're not talking about we're not talking about love. We're talking about what it does for us. When somebody says I love you, we don't just go that's great. There's something that it, that that concept carries with it. What it carries with it is those that love me do things for me. Do things because of that love for me. It's not just the concept of, okay, they love me. They love me. That's it. They just There's an emotion here. And I'll, I'll say right here, for God so loved the world. That's not where the sentence stops. For God so loved the world. He didn't just go, I so loved the world. For God so loved the world, he did something. And are you ready for this? He did something directly intended to change our condition. That's what he did. God saw the condition of our hearts, saw the condition of our lives, said you guys are living in sin, separated from God, and I so love the world, I'm going to do something about your condition. Now check this out, because we believe God's love is unconditional, but hold on, the word of God says, you must be born again. You, in order to go to heaven, in order to inherit the kingdom of God, you must be born again. That is by definition a condition, right? And see where I'm going with this? I'm not saying that God's love is changed by our condition. But somehow, when we consistently say this over and over again, his love is unconditional, what we're communicating, I think, even subconsciously to ourselves, is that it doesn't matter what I do, right? And therefore, it gives freedom to us to go ahead and do whatever we want to. But God's love has a purpose to us. It's to change the condition of our souls. That's the purpose of God's love. Not to... Not to to just, oh, I want to be in control. That's not God's love. It's to change our condition. That's why Romans 8, 23 says, for all things work together for the good. Why? God's love is intending to work out good in our lives. That's God's love. Intended to work out good in our lives. But when we do this, right, we, we naturally link these two things. God's love is unconditional. Only in the sense that it is available to everyone. That it's unfailing, unending, and relentless. Do you hear what I said? God's love is unconditional only in the sense that it's for everyone. God's love is blind. It respects no person. God's love is for everyone. There is not a man or woman that has lived or will ever live that could do something that God's love then is held back from. That's what makes it unconditional. Anyone who confesses in the Lord Jesus Christ is available God's love and God loves those that reject him 
Just like those rescuers were there rescuing people. They didn't start hating. They didn't be like, I hate that house. Those people told me no. I came to save only those who would say yes. Now, that might be true, but you came to save anybody who would say yes. Right? They went out in those waters and said, I've come to anybody who wants help. I'm getting my boat. I'm taking you to dry land. That's what they set out to do. In the same way, Jesus said, I've come to save anybody who will say yes. That's unconditional love. That is the unconditional love of God. But somehow, we've perverted it. And the more I researched it, I found something out. And this is where it blew my mind. Unconditional love doesn't exist in the history of the church until the 1930s, in which there was a cult that published some papers that talked about unconditional love. And then it kind of faded away until the 60s. And in the 60s, free love, the hippies started going, hey, hey, unconditional love. And the movement within the hippies was the unconditional love was designed to say, it doesn't matter if I'm faithful, you love me. That was free love. You, you can have sex with anybody, right? It's this, the, the Woodstock, right? They're like, I saw an article the other day about how the couple that's famous on the cover and they were kissing on the cover of Woodstock and how they're still together, right? And I read the article and it was like, these people stayed together. And it was like trying to justify the whole movement because these two people stayed together. I'm like, oh my gosh, people at that concert had sex with people they didn't even know their names, like, yeah, and the guy was wearing a mask. I don't know. The hippie movement, so what did they do? They talked about love. What is love? Love is so all-welcoming that it's unconditional. Its intention was to overlook the unfaithfulness of the partner. Its intention was to overlook the un- So unconditional love is unconditional in the sense, well, it doesn't matter if I'm faithful to you. You should still love me. Right? And the Jesus movement, in an attempt to reach their peers, grabbed hold of this idea of unconditional love and applied it to God in the hopes of reaching their friends. And they did. The Jesus movement was a huge movement, right? And then a couple of well-known evangelists grabbed hold of unconditional love, and the rest is history. We've been singing about it, talking about it, but it isn't anywhere in the Bible. And the reason I say that is because God's love, his real love, he cares about our condition. Right? If you love somebody, you care about their condition. You care about it. That doesn't mean you stop loving them. It doesn't mean you stop. It means you care about their condition. Just like you care about your condition. Right? When you love somebody, the love, when by definition agape love puts you first. The object that is loved is priority. Okay? The object that is loved is priority. And when we pervert the idea of saying, well, it's unconditional love, and we kind of blanket this idea of love with this really vague, ambiguous idea in which, well, I just say that I love you, it it really means that I'm just kind of let you do whatever you want to, even if it means that you're going to come to the end of yourself, even if it means you're going to do something that's destructive, even if it means you're going to do something that hurts you, I'm just going to go ahead and let you do this because I love you. That's not loving the other person, that's loving yourself. Let me explain to you why I believe it's loving yourself. Because the justification for that, every single time you feel compelled to speak to your neighbor, speak to a coworker, speak. And I'm not talking, please, I'm talking about telling them about Jesus. Please don't tell them they dress inappropriately and say, that was love, sister. That's not what I'm talking about, okay? I'm talking about telling them about Jesus. I'm not talking about telling them how they should live their lives. 
I'm saying that God so loved the world, he saw the condition, and he said, I love the world so much, I'm going to do something about my love. When we see the world, and we see the condition of the world, that they're separated from the love of God, that they're separated, sin separates us from our Father. When we see it, God said, I'm doing something, I'm sending my Son. And the statement that he made is that anyone who confesses in me is saved. It doesn't matter what you've done, where you come from, what race you are, what gender. It doesn't make a difference to him. If you look upon him and say, Jesus, you're my Savior. You are God made man. Died because of my separation. Died because of my condition. I'm confessing in you. That was done to change the condition we're in. When we see the world, our response is supposed to be based on what's good for them. Not what's good for us. And sometimes when we don't want to speak, it's because we don't want to feel bad. And that's loving us. We don't want them to think ill of us. We don't want them to say mean things. We don't want them to think we're stupid. That is all us. That's all us. That's not loving them. Now we'll tell ourselves, well, we don't want to make them feel bad. Is that really it? You don't want them to make, you don't want them to feel bad? Because when you discovered the love of God, didn't you feel bad? And what did you do? Repented. And then what did you do? Embrace the greatest love you've ever known. You embraced the greatest love you've ever known. Your eyes were opened and you realized that this world has nothing that God can offer. You know, there's more nothing in comparison to what God's offering you. And he extends to you a sense of hope and a sense of love that all of a sudden everything else pales in comparison. And you go, thank you, God, for what? Making me feel bad. Thank you. you. That's what happens. When I got saved, I was like, thank you, God. That's why I wept. I wept both because I felt bad and because the goodness of God was so unbelievable to me. I couldn't believe that God would make me feel so good at the exact same moment in which I wanted to feel so bad. That was the power of God. And I gave my life to Jesus Christ, and nothing has been the same ever since. And when I fear telling somebody or sharing it with somebody, it's almost always certainly because I'm thinking of me before I'm thinking of them. But the love of God, the kind of love that God talks about, is always putting the object before the one loving. God's love puts us first. If it put God first, he would have just said, I'm done with this earth, I'll make another. Right? Done. I'm just done. Noah, those people are disgusting. I'm done. Not Noah, Moses. Not Moses, Abraham. I mean, just name it. Canaan, when? The 40s? I'm done. Look at Hitler. Look at the Nazis. I'm Wipe them off. Mongolians, we, look, humanity is depraved. Right? It's depraved. And just because we wear nicer clothes in this country doesn't mean we're not just as depraved. All right? Just because the depravity that we practice is practiced in a dark room with a computer screen doesn't mean we're less depraved than those living in other countries. We're depraved. It's the darkness of sin that separates us from God. And when God saw the condition we were living in, he did something. He sent his son to die. And let me tell you something. The love of God is blind. But it is not dumb, meaning it is not silent. It speaks. It speaks. It speaks when it puts itself at risk. It speaks when it puts itself out there, when embarrassment might come, when ridicule might follow, when failure, when anger. It speaks. It speaks in countries in which they might lose their lives. It speaks in countries in which men wearing black masks will come and cut their heads off. God's love speaks. Those people don't give their lives because they want to prove that ISIS is wrong. They give their lives because the love of God lives in them. And they believe that those people living under 
that kind of rule are loved by God just as much as they are loved by God. And if they have to risk their life to share with them that kind of love, they'll risk their life to share that kind of love. Why? Because the love of God lives and dwells in them. And the love of God, first and foremost, puts other people's lives and circumstances before their own. That's what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. To say, you know what? It's not about me. It's about them. In fact, if you get into Scripture, you're going to discover something that's terrifying. The origin of sin is in self-love. That's the origin of sin. Satan is the origin of sin. And what did he do? He wanted to be loved. He wanted his way over God's way. He wanted people to look at him and not at God. It was all about Satan. That's the origin of sin. It's what we're born into. Right? The antithesis of what is natural to us is to put ourselves second and to put others first. That's the antithesis. When it comes to sharing our faith, we must recognize how do we get to the place in which we share our faith. First, we must recognize sharing our faith means we can't be silent. Love is not dumb. It is not silent. It is not mute. It speaks. It says, hey, look out. It says, you're loved. It, it speaks when it sees the condition. It says, I must do something because God so loved the world, he acted upon that love. We must have that love, right? And let me tell you something. If you have faith, you should have that love because they are synonymous. They're not mutually exclusive. Faith and love go hand in hand, right? It's as if to say, if you put faith in the oven, love would come out. If you've got faith in you, love should come out of you, right? That's, that's the, the, the understanding of what we realize when we recognize what Jesus did for us rooted in his, in his profound, undescribable love for us. That love that he has for us then must translate into our love for others. And we must first recognize what God's love looks like. It looks like us putting the outcome of somebody else's life before us. We don't say, well, no, I, I love them by letting them. By letting them what? Go to hell? Is that what you're saying? I love them by letting them. The word of God says, how will they know if nobody tells them? How would you know if nobody told you? Love God says, share your faith. Is the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. It's what Jesus did and what he did for us. That's what changes people's lives. It's not the rules. It's not that, please, don't go and tell them, come and see my church. It's not about the bride. It's about Jesus. Tell them, what has Jesus done? He died on the cross. He laid everything aside. He put everything at risk. He jumped in a boat into the middle of raging waters, knowing that half of the people he knocked on their doors were going to refuse him, and half were going to say, save me. That's what Jesus did, and he did so with the same love. And you know what he does just like those guys? He goes back every day, and he knocks on the same door. And as the flood waters rise and things get worse, some of them start saying, take me out of here. And that's exactly what Jesus does. Every day, he knocks on the door and he goes 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 and he goes. It's a relentless kind of love. It is not in the way that we describe it, an unconditional love. An unconditional love would mean that we would then say, God, Jesus in the boat wouldn't knock on the door, he'd kick it open, grab him by force and throw him in the boat. That would be unconditional love acted upon. But that's not what he did. He knocks and he knocks and he knocks. And so must we, relentlessly sharing our faith to those. And 
we say, God, open up our eyes to see it. And then finally, life, love is blind, but it's not deaf and it's, it's not deaf and it's not dumb. If you're having trouble speaking, if you're having trouble sharing your faith, if you're having trouble knowing what to say, if you're having trouble with the wisdom, how do I articulate what Jesus has done for me? How do I articulate what Jesus has done? How do I look and know what to say in the moment? There's one thing I've learned, right? YouTube makes it really easy to see. One of my favorite videos to watch on YouTube is the video of deaf people hearing for the first time, right? One of my favorite videos because there is inexplainable joy that overcomes them, right, at the idea of being able to do that. The one thing about deaf people I've realized is they have trouble speaking. You know why they have trouble speaking? Because they couldn't hear. If you have trouble sharing your faith, it might be because you're not hearing the word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. That's what faith, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. If you're slurring your sharing, if you're struggling to articulate, if you don't know the words, if you don't know how to form a testimony, if you don't know how to speak and share your faith with people that are around you, maybe you need to hear the word more. Maybe you need to, to hear more clearly what Jesus says about us. Because what he says about us is that he died for all. What he says about us is because he died for all, all have died. That all have the same opportunity of hope and joy and salvation that you have found. That all are as loved as you are loved, regardless of their economic situation, regardless of their past, regardless of their habits, regardless of the condition of their soul. Jesus said, I died for them. And let me tell you something that's so real. The power of God's word, as you read it, as you hear it, it does something without even effort in you. You hear the word of God, and it says, every knee shall bow. And there's something that's stirred up inside. You hear the word of God, and it says, he silences heaven. His ear is inclined to hear the requests of his children. Those that call upon his name. Those that cry out to heaven. God hears that cry. God answers that cry. And all of a sudden, something stirs up inside of you. But if you don't hear those things, you won't know how to articulate them. So then when your coworker says, I've got to take my kid to the doctor, and I'm afraid it's something serious. And as they fight back tears, and you realize, what would be my greatest fear? Taking my kid to the doctor to find out that maybe they have something terminal. Man, God, I need to speak. Why? Because your word says you knit that child together in her womb. And to a person who's never heard that verse, do you know what that makes them feel? God knit your child together in your womb, that he knows the number of hairs upon your head, that he knows your name, that he's right here in the midst of this place. He knows your circumstance. He knows your fear. He knows your pain. We don't have to get up on a soapbox and tell people hell is waiting for them. The love of God is far more powerful and incredible than the damnation that waits those that don't turn to him. We don't need to scare them into his arms. But what we do need is to stop being silent. To speak. Because everybody in this room has been overwhelmed by the love of Jesus Christ. Called 
without deserving it. Blessed without earning it. Purposed. Purposed without aspiring to it. Why? Because that's God's love. And we live and surround ourselves every single day in a world that walks blindly without realizing it. We can't be silent any longer because the love of God is not dumb and it is not deaf. We must listen and we must speak. You know, 7% of all Christians share their faith with somebody else. 7%. That blew my mind. The average, 7%, 7 out of 100 Christians will actually actively share their faith. Listen, if you are moved by the Holy Spirit, say, God, I want to learn to share my faith. I want to learn what is this? What do you, what, open up my eyes so that I might be able to communicate to those that are around me who are living without your hope. We're not perfect and neither are our lives. That's not what we're, please don't wait until you have attained perfection in your life to decide to offer Jesus Christ to those at your workplace. It's not going to happen, right? We are all works in progress. Pray about it. Ask God, God, who in my life is ready who do you have around me who's ready? Who is there that is the condition of their life and their soul is ready for you to shine a light upon them and they're ready to open up the door? Who in my life has the water breaching the doorways? Who's done telling the Jesus to go? Go to the next house. Move on, Jesus. I'm waiting it out. I'm waiting it out. I'm waiting it out. Ask God to open up your eyes and so that then you can say, God, help me. Speak to me. Let me say something. I, I, I don't know everything, but I know that the success rate, in my opinion, is going to be based upon those of you who decide to hear before they speak. Open up the word. All right, get it open. God, show me. Speak to me. Teach me. God can do that. Amen? God can do that. You don't have to come to church to hear from the Lord, right? I mean, we like you to come to church, but you don't have to, right? He's right there. He's in your living room. You may think that he's not, but he is. He's, he's, in, he's beside your bed as you sleep, the Bible says. He prays over us, right? And God literally prays his word over you while you sleep. He's in your car. He's at your workplace, in that elevator, in those moments in which you're looking ahead at the day. He's there. Take a moment, acknowledge him to Jesus. Help me. Help me. Right? You open up the word and you hear it, and I'm telling you, all of a sudden now, you're going to say things. For those of you that have ever courageously stepped out to share your faith, because it's nerve-wracking, I bet you if I gave you the opportunity to raise your hand if you've ever done this, a ton of hands would go up, but the truth is, when you start sharing your faith, there are going to come moments in your life where you walk away from sharing your faith and you're going to look... If, even if you're by yourself and you're going to go, who the heck just said that? <laughs> right? You're going to go, I didn't even know I knew that. Who just said that? I'll tell you who said it. It's the person who was listening. And the word of God, faith comes by hearing. And all of a sudden now you speak something that maybe Pastor Scott preached on seven months ago. And you, you come in and you say, Scott, this is what I did. And then I said it. And Scott's going, oh, yeah. Remember the sermon I preached? You, you don't even remember the sermon. You know how that works? It's because the word of God is alive and active. You put it in there, the Holy Spirit pulls it out. Right? But you got to put it in there. And, and if I could finish by just simply saying this, all right? May we humbly, humbly 
like those people who were so quick to get in their boats and their trucks and drive to the disaster. May we humbly recognize we are in a position to help. We are. It doesn't matter if you're brand new at this. If you're like, well, I've only been a Christian for so long. I've only, it doesn't matter. You are in a position to help, right? It's us. Let's do it. Let's, let's reach out and let's love our neighbors. Let's stop fearing their looks or their comments or their feelings towards us. Let's stop making it about us and let's start making it about them. And start realizing that the game and the risk is too high for us to stay silent anymore. Amen? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord Jesus. God, I, I thank you, Father, for your word that reminds us, do not fear, for it's not you who speaks, but the spirit of your Father who speaks through you. That, God, we would not go out into our everyday lives thinking that we must come up with some creative, articulate way to speak truth. But, Father God, rather that we must trust and obey. That we would just rely upon your spirit as you lead us. That we would be obedient to hearing your word, to studying it. And then we would be obedient to letting your spirit draw it out of us. But, God, open up our eyes to see the condition of the world around us. Let us realize so firmly, so clearly, that the only hope that we could ever truly offer is you, Jesus. So I pray, God, that you would anoint us, that you would commission us, Father, to go out and to reach those that you have put around us for a reason. That we would bring them and teach them and help them discover the love that we all know all too well. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We hope it blessed and encouraged you. Join us live on Sunday or at our midweek Connect small group meetings in North Phoenix, Arizona.